Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. Additionally, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. I am trying to work on a few different thematic episodes coming up in the next few months. The very first one is one about Halloween. So if you have a Halloween-related Peace Corps story, please send me a direct message through Instagram or on the contact form over at my website. I would love to hear from you so I can hear some of the the quirky stories about Halloween, uh, you trying to, to teach students about it, Uh, dressing up with fellow volunteers, anything Halloween-related, because personally, it is one of my favorite holidays. Now, on to this week's episode. This week, I talk with Michaela Sanchez, who served with her husband in Nicaragua as an education volunteer. We talk about the ups, downs, and facing her fears. Her first fear that she outlined before she started service was long bus rides, and guess what? She had to face that because of chikungunya. Don't know what chikungunya is? Well, you're about to find out. This is this is this is this is my my peace corps peace corps my peace corps my peace corps story story story. My name is Michaela Sanchez, and this is my peace corps story. Hey, Michaela, how are you doing? Hey, Tyler, I'm doing well. Good, good. Happy to. Uh, talk to you and learn about your service today uh, as a um, as as you stated uh, a non traditional volunteer. You didn't serve right out of undergrad. You had uh, five plus years of work experience, and you served with your husband. Uh, so those will definitely be part of of the interview and your background story. So I'm very excited to hear those aspects of your service. Great. I look forward to telling you more. Well, let's start off by letting everybody know a little bit more about you, uh, where you're from in the United States, your background, and where you served in the Peace Corps. Okay. Um, So I am from Santa Fe, New Mexico, born and raised. And I graduated from undergrad in 2009 when I promptly moved to Washington, D.C., Um, where I spent five and a half years working as a contractor for the Department of State, and then I switched over to a human rights nonprofit. Um, And in 2014, that is when I left Washington with my husband. We got married in 2012, and we left for Peace Corps Nicaragua, and that's where we spent our two and a half years of service. Mm -hmm. Well, did Peace Corps service... uh come into play, um, I guess, 
after you guys had had gotten married, or was this something that you were planning uh, on doing that you had talked about uh, in advance? So the interesting thing about Connor and I, that's my husband. So he's also from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And when we were in high school, we used to talk about serving in the Peace Corps. Um, Skip forward almost, you know, eight years later when we did decide to get married, it was still something that we very much wanted to do. And we realized that if we were married, then it's something that we could do together. So I think it had been a goal of ours individually for a while. And then it just kind of um, came naturally, organically that we could do it together. So um, that's how we decided to do that. Okay. And then what exactly were you doing in Nicaragua as a volunteer? So I was a education volunteer. Um, my official title was teaching English as a foreign language teacher trainer. Um, my main role was to work with Nicaraguan teachers in the classroom to help them increase their English fluency level, as well as um, help them create more dynamic activities that they could do with their students in English while they were teaching. Um, I also was very lucky to be placed in one of the only community English centers in Nicaragua that just so happened to be in my site. So um, I taught English there, but it was also a larger role of helping sort of manage the center get a board of directors up and running and think of other activities that were not necessarily in English, but to engage the youth of the community in uh, our site. And what were some of those other activities that you did beyond just teaching English? Um, So we, at the English Community Center, we created one of the first all-girls book club um, where a donor generously bought us 15 copies of I Am Malala in Spanish so that we could read them together and discuss and have weekly meetings, um, which was very exciting. Um, I did, I painted two world maps, one in my rural community, one in another school across the street from the English Community Center. Um, We were constantly involved in giving trainings at the local university to the English professors. Um, My husband played on the local soccer team, which was also sort of um, a great experience for me because I would go and sit with all the other family members and, you know, just learn about what Sundays are like in Nicaragua, which is not a lot of activities. It's just kind of chilling, which was great. Um, And in terms of the English Center, there was a lot of things that needed to happen in terms of building more community engagement, which is why we had the idea of creating a board of directors to help Um, influential members of the community feel like they were a part of the decision-making that went into the Community English Center. Um, They needed to figure out their finances because they were charging for English classes, so trying to figure out um, what to do with the money, and then also creating sort of a large network of volunteers because everyone that came and worked in the English Center was not paid, 
And so trying to um, install this idea that, you know, volunteering is great and useful and can really help you in achieving your goals, even if you're not being paid. So that's sort of what I did in a nutshell. Okay. And what was the, the, I guess, the big driver behind the English center? Because this is an English center in a Spanish-speaking country. What were some of the opportunities that community members could could have by being able to speak English? Um, Just paint a picture of the, the reason why this center was important. So it was created by the volunteer that served before me. And it basically took her entire two and a half years to get the center up and running and ready for classes. Um, and it was the idea of our counterpart um, who, for some reason, this town, Rivaganea, where we served, it's in the middle of the jungle, six hours away from Managua. But there is a huge motivation in the community to learn English because of the doors that it can open. Um a lot of people had had the experience of going to the United States and speaking English in the United States and coming back and teaching students English, or maybe they had been able to work for a little bit in a call center and earn more money because of what being able to speak English does for financial opportunities. Um, So it was really well received by the mayor and the local government in our town when the the um, previous volunteer had had worked with the counterpart to open this community English center. And when I started serving, it was really, you know, the first year that classes were being given. Um, parents all over Nueva were really motivated to send their children because in Nicaragua, English is not taught in primary school. It's only taught in high school. So it was one of the only places where their children were getting access to English on a daily basis, Um, which in my experience teaching high school and in my experience teaching younger kids, it was a lot easier to get them to play games and to interact in English and to just really have nothing holding them back and participating um, in front of their peers. So I think that was a huge motivation is to just try and get the population of the community to speak to speak English at a younger age as opposed to waiting to high school. Mm-hmm. And and what an opportunity because I, I've talked to other um, TEFL volunteers and it always seems that they're in that high school setting and a lot of people you know treat their their English classes or the students treat it like we t- treat you know electives in high school that. You've got to take this class because you're told to, and you're just remembering it because you need to pass the exam to do well to go to college. And it seems like you had a an opportunity to really impart um, some English speaking ability and then also have that uh, foray into all these other activities that you did along the way. Yeah, it was great. I mean, honestly, I it was the highlight of my service and you know, I enjoy teaching high school also because there, you know, are those few students that are interested and want to learn and are really motivated. But to be able to have the experience of doing both, I feel really lucky because not every volunteer had that experience. Mm-hmm. And then of the various experiences that you had, is there one that stands out as um, 
as your favorite experience or most impactful that you walked away from? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick one because there are so many different things that happen during your service. But I think the one thing that I felt really proud of that, um, you know, I know was continued after I left was starting the girls group and the book club um, and reading I Am Alala in Spanish. You know, we, I, my counterpart and I assigned them some homework to research who Malala is and different types of questions for them to answer before they came to the first meeting. And I think it was really interesting that for them to read about what education is like outside of Nicaragua and the access that, you know, girls have to education outside of Nicaragua. And it was interesting for me as a volunteer because you see all of these things that are not like the United States that I think we can become critical of. But when we talked about it, the girls in my group, the one thing that stuck with me is they said, I feel so lucky that Nicaragua gives us access to education. We don't have any barriers the way Malala did when she was trying to go to school, which I honestly had not even thought about until they pointed it out. So it was just a really great experience being able to discuss somebody else's culture in a culture different than my own, but together in Spanish. It was just a really unique experience. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, as you're sort of collectively looking at this other culture together that is different than um, the culture that either, either of you knows, uh, it highlights those things that you wouldn't have expected to see. Were there anything... Was there anything else that surprised you from uh, that book club or uh, that book specifically in working with these young girls? Well, I know when we finished, um, it was sort of towards the end of my service. And I had said that, you know, I think there's going to be another book club either to replace me if she has the time. She will... um, you know, figure out if this is something that she wants to keep doing. And the great thing about it was I kept in touch with the volunteer who replaced me. And she told me, well, in I Am Lala, there was a section about Anne Frank. And I remember telling the girls about Anne Frank and the Holocaust. And I'm Jewish, which was not something that I shared very openly in my community, not because I was afraid of the reaction just because they, we were already so different. We were, you know, about 15 Americans in a community of 50,000 people. And I already, you know, would walk down the street getting called out by my appearance and American. And I didn't want to put another label on myself that I was going to have to explain to a lot of people. It was just a personal decision. But after that, I explained what the Holocaust was and who Anne Frank was. The volunteer told me that they had decided to read the diary of Anne Frank in Spanish together, um, which I just found completely amazing and great that it was able to tie it back to the book that we had first read together. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it is still going and that you also had the opportunity to stay in touch uh, with the volunteer that followed up after you. Yes, Nicaragua, Peace Corps Nicaragua is really good about facilitating those types of relationships. And have you been able to keep in touch 
with the the students that you you worked with? It is are they pretty well connected? I mean, you did say that they are, you know, kind of out there in the the middle of nowhere. Um, it's not a, a bustling metropolis. But have you been able to keep in touch with everybody? Yes. So the funny thing about Novaganea, my community, is although it's in the middle of nowhere, it's not lacking for technology, supermarket, bank. Um, all of the things that we think about a big city having, it's just really in a rural part of the country. Um, but I have been able to keep in touch. My counterpart is really great at setting up Skype sessions and she prepares all of the students with, you know, things for them to present to me in English. And some of the girls that were in my book club are also still studying English at the community center. Um, so I've been able to to keep in touch with them. Um, one of my students went on to receive a scholarship from the Department of State to study English every day for two hours. It's called Access. I think it's in a lot of other Peace Corps countries also. And she texts me regularly in English over WhatsApp, which is great because when I was teaching her, you know, her level was very beginner, but now she seems very advanced. Um, and so I'm grateful that, you know, I can keep that, those relationships going. It's, it's sad right now because Nicaragua is going through, um, sort of a hard time. There's been a lot of violence and, um, they really are pushing for Daniel Ortega to leave, who's the president. And so when I Skyped with them a couple months ago, they said to me over Skype, teacher, we learned a new um, phrase that we want to say to you in English. And I said, okay, well, what is it? And they said, well, we wanted to tell you that the war in Nicaragua is the elephant in the room, <laughs> which is just, you know, sad, but also great use of the term elephant in the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you, you've let us know about some of the, the great things that you did as a volunteer, uh, the opportunities you had to connect to, to these girls and, and working at the center. But what were some of the things that you struggled with as a volunteer or a, a difficult time that you encountered? Um, I think that every volunteer probably struggles with the just adjustment of um, the diet and the climate and those um, changes that your body is going through. I think one of the hardest things for me was just constantly being hot. Um, It really affects your energy level. (laughs) The amount of energy we have in the United States to work eight, nine, 10 hours a day is just not you know, possible when it's 90 degrees outside, a hundred percent humidity and the sun is just beating down on you and you have no escape. So I think that was definitely an adjustment to realize that, you know, I have to take two hours out of the day where I am inside not doing anything because we just don't have the energy to be going full force all the time. And then, you know, I was bit by a mosquito and contracted chikungunya, which is a mosquito-borne virus, very similar to Zika. That was awful. <laughs> it was terrible. I would not wish that on anyone. But the bright side to that is I it did not discriminate who they bit. So I was also suffering right along next to neighbors, counterparts, students. We all 
we're going through it. Mm-hmm. And chikungunya, now that is, you have a, a fever, chills, like your whole body just hurts, is like severe, like kind of arthritis. What are, what are the, some of the yeah. symptoms? So the symptoms are joint pain, a terrible rash all over your body, probably for three days, fever, um, and there's not really anything you can take for it because it is a virus. And the problem with chikungunya is after the initial symptoms have passed, the joint pain can last up to a year after you've had the virus. Um, and I would say that I still had joint pain probably a good eight months after chikungunya. Not severe, but still there if I sat you know, in one position for too long. So especially after my bus ride, which was six hours, it was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And is chikungunya like malaria where you can get it over and over and over again, or is it like one and done? So I think it can come back. I think I know volunteers had it twice, but I don't think that if I got bit, I would have a whole new case. I think it's just different cycles in your body can maybe have the symptoms flare up again. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing that has happened since getting chikungunya is I sometimes do get a rash, which I never used to have rashes before. Um, but it goes away within a couple of days and that hasn't happened in a while, but I do, I do think that it's definitely reoccurring symptoms. Um, but less severe than malaria. Mm -hmm. And did your husband manage to uh, escape unscathed or did he also get it alongside you? So he did not contract chikungunya when I had it, but he did have some type of mosquito borne virus the last three months of service. And we're not sure if it was Zika or chikungunya um, because we didn't do an official test and he hasn't had any problems since, but it definitely wasn't chikungunya because he didn't have the joint pain, but it was definitely some type of mosquito borne virus. Okay. And then continuing on, I guess, talking a little bit ab about your husband or serving as a, a married couple, yeah. how did that make your service different? Cause I served with, uh, three married couples, uh, so I got to see from the outside looking in about their experiences and just I always felt a little jealous that they had someone right there with them uh, to go through everything that they knew before going into Peace Corps, uh, during their service, and then would continue on after. So can you highlight some of uh, the benefits or perks or things you enjoyed or that were, were different that you got to experience differently than other people who serve uh, without a significant other? Yeah. So I think every country is different. I know every country treats their married couples differently during training. But for me, when I went through training, we were separated because my Spanish level was very low. And Connor had studied Spanish um, in uh, high school and college and, um, you know, had focused more on it. So in order for me to be able to learn and not use him as a crutch, they did separate us which I think was a very good decision. Luckily, though, he was in a town that was only 10 minutes away, and I did have permission to 
visit him on the weekends where we would spend every other weekend at different um, host families' homes. So one weekend he would come to my host family and they knew that I was married. So they had put me in a house that could um, accommodate a married couple. Same with his host family. Um, and also we were lucky because we were so during training together for English training, um, I saw him at least twice a week during the week because of the trainings that we had to do for, um, English training. So I think I was lucky in that sense because I've read about other volunteers really being separated the entire time of training, which I think would be really difficult and trying to adjust. Um, I think a benefit was that I not only got to bond with my host family for training, but I also got to meet his host family. And so it was even more people to practice Spanish with and more people to really make a connection with, um, and learn about the culture. And that was, I think, really special. Um, it was, really great to always have someone to talk through things. And, you know, although we didn't work at the same schools, our jobs definitely overlapped when we were in sight, he would come and teach theater with his counterpart at the community English center. You know, we were both asked to be judges at different English singing competitions. And we were kind of just always together. If, if I was seen without him, people would ask, and your husband? I mean, it was funny because it was almost like, well, he's working too. He has a different job, you know, but it was nice to know too, that they thought of us as a unit. Um, I, you know, barely had to take that long bus ride by myself, which was nice. Um, I think I did it like a couple of times on my own. I, you know, we had different family come and visit us. And so I always would go when his family came to visit or my family came to visit. We took those vacations together. We always sort of, you know, were involved in each other's work. Um, I have a lot of respect for single volunteers because you do have to do it on your own. Even if you are not in a site without a site mate, I know that that happens to volunteers but I had a very unique situation where, you know, Connor and I were always together. And I think that that was a really great experience that, that can either make your relationship stronger or really put a strain on it. And luckily for us, I think it just made it, made it even stronger. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I didn't know that there were some volunteers that were separated during training. I guess it, I guess it does make sense because, our our married couples, they stayed at the same house together, but because they were in different uh, sectors, one was would be education, the other one was agriculture. They spent the days apart from one another because we had two different training facilities. Uh, yeah, but I, guess, but I guess it does make sense if they had two different training facilities that were far enough apart from one another, they would have to be separated for those three months. Yeah. I mean, I had read about a couple, I think in Madagascar or Malaysia somewhere where she didn't see her husband the entire three months of training, which I could not even imagine. That would be really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you miss about your Peace Corps service? I miss a lot of things. Um, 
I mean, I, I would say most of all the, the community, my friends, my counterparts, the students, um, but in a bigger picture sense, I think Peace Corps really helps you evaluate pace of life. And in the United States, especially coming from Washington, which is its whole own pace. Um, I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was really forced to, to slow down and really value interactions with people you know, in in the U.S., we don't really interact that much with our neighbors or the people who live across the street from us or the parents of students that we teach. I mean, we do, but it's not the same. And I really felt like I was in this community. I was respected. And I think I really missed the pace of just stopping by someone's house and to say hello or seeing something in their yard and just asking randomly, what is that? What, or what, where did you find this rabbit that I see in your yard? And just making conversation with strangers and finding out, Oh, you're the, the aunt of my student that I teach every Thursday, you know, everything it was such a small community, a small world. And I miss feeling connected like that. Um, because I live in a place here in Boston where you know, I, my neighbors got married downstairs and I felt like they thought I was weird because I was really excited for them that they were getting married and I didn't even know them, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's just not the same. It's not the same type of relationships or pace of, of life that we have here in the U S and, and I miss that. Mm -hmm. And even if you do want to bring that pace of life back and that connection, as you said, your neighbors that felt weirded out by the fact that you were so excited for them and they didn't really know you, uh, not everybody around you wants the same thing and people aren't as receptive when you're, you're going out of your way to, to introduce yourself. You're kind of like, well, why is this, why does this weirdo, uh, what yeah. know so much about me? <laughs> exactly. And I have to remind myself, not everyone cares about you <laughs> and wants mm -hmm. to know and wants to share their life with you. Mm -hmm. And is there something that, you learned in Peace Corps that relates to that or has uh, really helped you um, as you've transitioned back into life in the United States? Um, I think, you know, the two things that have really helped me transition and also lessons that I learned is continuing to remain flexible and also reminding myself that you don't have control over everything that happens. And if you can accept those two things and apply those lessons to your life as you're transitioning back into the United States, I found it really helpful because we all know as volunteers that things don't go as planned and flexibility is the number one skill that they want all volunteers to have, which is very important. Um, and with flexibility becomes, if you're a control freak, letting go of that because you just really can't predict what's going to happen. And I think the same applies here is recognizing where you do need to be flexible and recognizing that there are some things that are just out of your control, like the emotions you're going to feel when you transition back to the United States. And 
Before we, we got into the interview, uh, you talked about learning Spanish, and then you said that you were separated from your husband because you didn't have the, the same level of Spanish, but I take it that you are now a uh, fluent Spanish speaker? Yes. So I started off probably the lowest. There were 20 people in my cohort, and I think I was at the bottom. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, and when I left Peace Corps, I tested out at Advanced, which was a huge goal for me. Um, I worked really hard. And it's harder for English volunteers because our role is to speak English and to help people with their fluency level. And I think that if you wanted to, you, you know, my entire service could have been only in English. But I made it a point to also learn the language so that I could connect with people on a different level besides the English teachers and my students. And it's opened so many doors for me coming back to the United States in terms of job opportunities because uh, speaking Spanish is, you know, really a skill that people are looking for. And I have found it, um, you know, I have not stopped speaking Spanish since I came back from Peace Corps. I think I'm probably even more advanced now than I was when I left Peace Corps just because it's been almost um, two, four years now of speaking Spanish every day. And what are you using your, your Spanish to do back here in the U S? Um, so when I came back from Peace Corps, I worked at a immigration law firm as an immigration paralegal. So I was using my Spanish there. And now here in Boston, I work for a nonprofit called the Political Asylum Immigration Representation Project, so PAIR for short, as the asylum intake coordinator. Um, and so we, we work with asylum seekers in Massachusetts to help them find lawyers pro bono. Uh, awesome work. And what an amazing way to kind of continue your service and transition those skills that you learned uh, back to the United States in, in a different service capacity. Yeah, I um, had been working for Peace Corps, um, but it just really clicked for me after being able to speak another language that it was going to be even more valuable to continue working directly with, with immigrants and asylum seekers and refugees if you could speak another language. Um, and I feel really lucky that I had that opportunity and that experience to continue doing the work that I'm very passionate about. And did you have any reservations with taking that, that two years away from the United States that you definitely, you've learned a lot, you're able to do a lot and it has opened up many doors in your career, uh, but you were, you were well on your way in, in your career path before you left. Uh, what, what was your reasoning for, for taking that leap and taking the time to take what some people call two years off, um, but I, I definitely don't see it as taking two years off and take, stepping yeah. away, uh, but how did you overcome that or what words of advice do you have for some people that are trying to grapple with um, taking two years to go do the Peace Corps? Well, I think first and foremost that it's definitely not two years off. It's a job. And you are there to gain 
more skills and experience that, especially in a place like Washington and really in other parts of the United States, I felt like I hit a ceiling at what I was capable of doing and the jobs that I was going to continue to be able to do without any international experience. Um, and so I really looked at it as a huge step in my professional development. I did not look at it as taking two years off. Maybe it's, I mean, it is 100% taking two years off financially, <laughs> um, which is something you just need to be prepared for. But in terms of the skills and professionalism and experiences that you'll gain, it's only going to be a resume builder. There's no way that it would be the opposite. I definitely agree. Well, I've I've enjoyed he hearing about your experience, uh, what you did, learned, took away from it, serving as a married volunteer. Before we close out the interview, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, a funny story, words of advice, encouragement for the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? I just want to say that when I joined Peace Corps, when I went to staging, you do a lot of different team building activities and they asked you, what's your biggest fear? And my biggest fear was getting really sick, living far away from a doctor, having to get on a bus for more than two hours to see the doctor and just, you know, being miserable. That was my biggest fear. <laughs> and when I contracted chikungunya, I knew that I had it. I just knew. I woke up and I was in so much pain. I had a fever and I woke Connor up crying hysterically. Like, I have chikungunya. We have to go to the Capitol. This is terrible. And, you know, he said, okay, let's go. And unfortunately, the only bus that we could take that was going to get us there, you know, within the good time was a two o'clock in the morning bus. And as I was walking to the bus, I felt terrible. My head hurt. I was stepping on the bus and I realized I am literally doing my worst fear that I said, I live really far away. This bus ride's going to take six hours. I'm really sick, but the only way I can get to a doctor is to take this bus as a very sick person so I can figure out what's going on. And I think once I realized that I was literally conquering my biggest fear, everything else was just downhill. So I would say that don't be afraid to, you know, quit your job or go right after school because it's going to be something that will only enable you to keep going in your career and achieve your goals. And it is well worth the painful moments. Mm -hmm. Well, Thank you for sharing that last little bit of advice. And in closing, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? So it's not a saying, but there's a word that I really liked, which is one of the first Nicaraguan slang words, and it's facento. And facento means sort of like stuck up or fancy. Um, but Nicaraguans use it to tease people all the time. For example, 
oh, you just bought a new cell phone. Wow, Facento. You're so Facento. Or wow, um, you're, you get to travel to the capital for work. Facento. And Connor <laughs> and I have decided that um, we're, when we adopt a dog, we're definitely going to name him Facento. Uh, that sounds like a perfect dog name. And uh, <laughs> did you have this uh, slang term thrown at you a lot, being the the Americans? Yes, and in the beginning, I think we used it more teasingly, and then in the end, we realized that it's maybe not something you really want to be known for. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think it helped to keep keep in mind, um, you know, what who who the type of person it is that they're describing when they use that term, um, and that you can use it to tease people, but it's definitely a good um a, a good self check like is this too facento <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for sharing uh facento with us uh i might find a way to to use it but no one will know what i'm saying uh and <laughs> i i wish you the best uh, as you continue to to serve to use uh, your language ability uh, to help others as they are coming to the united states seeking asylum uh, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, spending time with you and learning about your Peace Corps story. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get a new episode sent directly to you every single Tuesday when I release them. Also, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'm trying to put together a Halloween-themed episode. So if you have a Halloween story from your Peace Corps service, please connect with me, either sending me a direct message through Instagram or through the contact form over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. I look forward to hearing from you guys and hearing your Halloween-related Peace Corps stories. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?